Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Oil & Gas HSE, and thanks to the show's sponsor today, Technip FMC. Technip FMC is a leading technology provider to the traditional and new energy industries. Tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to their website at technipfmc.com. Check out their iComplete system that optimizes fracking operations with 30% lower costs and also see how their trademarked emission can give operators and producers real-time monitoring and control to reduce flaring while increasing production. Technip FMC, the future of the energy industry. In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today, my guest is Micah Backlund. Micah is the HSE director for Helmer & Payne Drilling Company. Micah, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, Russell, thanks for having me. Well, I've really been looking forward to this. You were actually introduced to me through Mark LaCour. I think you did a podcast with him a couple of months ago. And so he wanted to get me or get you on this HSE podcast because you guys, I think from what I can tell, have have quite the story to tell. But let me start off. First of all, your name is Micah. And I'm wondering, Micah, did your parents not know how to spell or what's the deal? Because I kept spelling it M-I-C- H-A, and the emails kept coming back to me, and finally I realized it's M-I-C-A-H, so if anybody wants to reach out to you, they need to know that. What's the deal on the name? Well, hey, Russell, don't sweat it, man. You can imagine that's happened quite a bit in my life, but no, the name came from the television series, The Rifleman, back in the, I guess, the 70s, 60s, and 70s, so my parents were fans. I think that would have been the 60s. Let's see, Michael was the kid on that show, wasn't he? He was the son to, what was that actor's name, Chuck something? Chuck Connors. Chuck Connors. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite the show. So Micah, where are you right now? I'm outside of San Antonio, Texas, and maybe a little bit of background on me, where I'm from. Grew up in Southwest Louisiana, third generation oil field. Both of my grandfathers retired from major oil companies, and I've been working in the oil and gas and petrochemical industry since my entire career, since I was heck 16. So that would be probably fifth or sixth generation Cajun, right? I haven't traced that back. You know, we were looking at that the other day. I got, I'm from Hackberry, Louisiana. My parents gave me a book about Hackberry for my birthday and going back through those pictures. We've been in that area for quite a while. So, well, that's kind of in the heart of it, right? It was at one time, you know, West Hackberry Field had at one time a hundred derricks on it, which for better or for worse, you know, I grew up around those old concrete cement pylons that the equipment would rest on and then they were earthen mud pits back in those days and that's what we played in that they, yeah. they were going over but that's what we used to play in <laughs> so how'd you get involved with hse well i went into operations early on in my career to be an operator field operator had a mentor that kind of directed me in in the hse direction he had provided a lot of positive feedback and guidance and thankfully i was receptive and he did a really good job of steering me in the right direction so so Helmrich and Payne, they're a huge drilling company, right? Yes, sir. We're actually the largest drilling contractor in the world based on operating recounts specifically. We've been in the business for over a hundred years. 
And we've drilled all over the world, as you can imagine, in that hundred years. So really proud of that reputation that we've got. Well, we have people listening in over 100 countries. So are you the HSE director for everything? No, sir. I'm over our U.S. operations and we do have some international operations. We've got an HSE director over that and then our offshore operations, an HSE director over those. So, Okay. So I'm an old mud engineer. I've been on a few rigs and unfortunately I've been on a few that weren't up to the standards that your drilling rigs are. But it's dangerous out there, isn't it? I'd say it can be, but like everything else in our lives, we can make it as safe as we have tolerance for. Frequently, I have people ask me that question, and I'm like, well, in reality, us getting on the road and driving is statistically more dangerous than the oil and gas business. So, yeah. That's a good analogy, and and statistically more dangerous than some of these other things people were worried about these days. We won't get into that. I have sponsors, so I have to be careful what I say, you know, so, (laughs) but let's talk HSE. Sure. Sure. Russell, again, really thankful for the opportunity to share this message. Probably like a lot of folks listening, we grew up and we came up in the industry with this idea that preventing relatively minor injuries and a low total recordable incident rate were good indicators of a strong HSE culture. 2014, we had we had a really a few events that, that drove us in, in a different direction from that. So, set stage for you in 2014. H and P has the best TRIR in the industry. We're consistently below 1.0, which was very good, especially given that time frame. Okay, now explain that acronym to those who don't know what you're talking about. Sure, that total recordable incident rate, and that's an injury. It, you know, requires a stitch or a chipped tooth or medical treatment beyond first aid. So that would be that type of injury. And so you say you're at less than 1%? Well, uh, less than a 1.0, right? So that rate is calculated over 200,000 man hours, which oh, wow. equates to about 100 employees, the man hours that 100 employees would, would experience. So we had less than one of those recordable injuries per 100 employee, just maybe simplify it. Right, right. So that's actually a pretty good record, right? Yeah, we were leading the industry consistently, one of the best uh, year over year. And we took a lot of pride in that number. And quite honestly, we got a lot of mileage out of that, making, showing, using that as a demonstration of our strong commitment to HSE and, and our desire to take care of our people. So tell me how you're doing that. Well, back in the day, again, this is 2014, a lot of the same things that People on the podcast are listening, probably are doing, you know, you've got a, you've got your controls, proactive efforts. And then whenever those negative events occur, you've got an injury, then you're managing cases and working with doctors, things like that, to try to minimize the actual rate of recordable incidents. So you keep going back to 2014. Did you start doing something different then? Yes. Yeah. Thanks for asking. November, 2014, within three weeks, we had two fatalities. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had a tremendous track record of low TRIR. And then within a very short period of time, we have two coworkers that are killed on the rigs. So can you talk about that? What happened or? Sure. We had an individual get caught up in the draw works as we were running casing. He had took the barricading off and ultimately got wrapped up in the draw works, stuck between the drill line and the kickback roller. 
That was the first one. The second one, we had a uh, an individual on the rig floor, and he was distracted, had headphones in, and ultimately backed out the collar from the lift sub using the hydraulic tongs, and the collar fell on him, killing him. Oh, my goodness. You say he had headphones on? Yeah, Russell. It, it really unfortunate. He was actually talking to his girlfriend at the time oh. uh, using earbuds, Yeah, which is obviously a no no <laughs> yeah yeah we can't allow that for a bunch of reasons but the biggest one being the distraction right we've got to be remain focused while we're on the rig floor yeah so were you hse director at that time i was uh hse manager for west texas which is where that second fatality occurred so yeah it hit home for me specifically but as an organization it really it rattled us and we started to question how we were managing our hse efforts and so what answers did you come up with? Well, we didn't have a bunch of answers immediately at the beginning, Russell. Honestly, we worked with some outside groups. I got to give a lot of credit to our senior leadership at that time. They challenged the status quo and ultimately said, hey, let's forget what we think we know about HSE and let's go back to the drawing board. And because of that, that initiative, that willingness to try something different, we feel like we've got a better solution. You know, it's always one of the most difficult things to do is to get buy-in from, you know, all the employees and everything. Unfortunately, a couple of tragic incidents like you're talking about right on top of one another, I guess that had everybody's attention, huh? It definitely did. Again, as we're, we're having conversations about what a great HSE culture we've got and how strong our performance is and trying to reconcile that with two coworkers that don't go home, we realize we're not achieving the results that we really care about. That's getting our people back to the house. There you go. That's what this show's all about. So can you maybe take us through the process of what you guys did so it might benefit some of the folks out there listening? Sure. I'd say we worked with that outside group and they brought some different perspective in, but ultimately they really empowered us to solve our problems. And it began with creating a safety leadership team which uh, prior to this event, the responsibility for managing, maintaining HSE processes rested with the vice president of HSE at the time. As a result of establishing that safety leadership team, that responsibility was delegated to the team itself, which consisted of HSE professionals, operations, senior operations leaders, and engineering leaders working together to solve those HSE problems. So you got these guys to come together then, huh? Yeah, yeah, and say got them to, we were directed to. So our senior operations vice president at the time, I recall one one day he walked in and he said, this is you as a team. This is your challenge. We need you to solve it and and you're empowered to solve it, but please bring solutions to the table whenever you're done with this project. That was a very interesting time in my career because prior to that it had been, you know, solutions were being driven from the corporate office and not being driven by collaboration with fuel. Ah, there you go. That may be worth the price of admission today. You got to have collaboration with the field, right? That's right. That's right. And if you can envision a boardroom, probably 15 feet wide and 30 feet long and a table there in that room running down the middle, we've got four HSE professionals, including myself, five senior operational leaders, and then another three or four engineering folks. Everybody had equal responsibility, and there were no stripes in the room. But ultimately, we were tasked with solving the problem. So you came up with a new system or what? Well, yes, maybe a a new philosophy was the biggest part, right? 
ultimately we've got to remain focused on those precursors that lead to the SIF events. And the SIF stands for serious injury and fatalities. Whenever I'm talking to other folks about this, especially in the industry, I've referenced the Macondo and the prior trust events. The one or both of those usually resonate with the, if you're in the industry, it'll resonate with us. Yeah, Macondo especially. What's the other one? The prior trust event in Oklahoma a few years ago where- Oh, that was a fire, wasn't it? That's correct. It was a blowout. Yeah, yeah. But I bring those two events up in reference to the precursors to those events are very different than the precursors to what we log on our OSHA logs or our total recordable incident rate, those events that are included in that calculation. So if you have the opportunity to decide, hey, am I going to focus on the precursors because we're trying to focus on the leading indicators, right? We're going to try to prevent those major events, those life-altering, life-ending events, or are we going to provide preference to the chip tooth or the stitch or any of the other number of cases that require they be posted to our OSHA logs? Okay, so that meant what? Well, it meant, number one, challenging the status quo and rethinking what we focus on. Because as we all know, if everything is important, nothing is important. You can't have a thoughtful and deliberate process, especially HSE process, if you're always chasing every little shiny thing that comes up. As a drilling contractor and a contract in the oil and gas space, we do work very closely with our customers. We continue to care about all injuries. But at the end of the day, we've got to give preference to those events and precursors that lead to the serious injuries and fatalities. So so you think maybe that's interesting what you said about if you focus on everything, you focus on nothing. That was kind of a revelation to you. How did you implement that? Well, I think what we first thing we did is really try to be honest and create trust with the field. That's a requirement, right? If you're going to implement any sort of new processes, especially given our situation where we had a, had at that time almost 90 years of experience in using that TRIR-based HSE process and culture, if we're going to make a significant change, it starts with gaining trust from the field. And you've got to be very deliberate in that. We were, by including those senior operational leaders in the process, it lent credibility to the safety leadership team but also it assisted in the implementation of this SIF-based HSE program. Yeah, because I think we talked about it a while ago, if you don't have that buy-in, it's got to be, I think you use the word, and we may overuse the word sometimes, use the word culture. I call it, in fact, I did a podcast just a few weeks ago talking about how if you want to have a successful safety program, it's got to be more than the safety cop mentality where, you know, you got the safety guy hiding in the bushes trying to catch people doing something or whatever. It, it's got to be people who you've got to convey to them the importance of coming home safe and everybody's got to be involved in the process. Yeah, Russell, that's spot on, man. I think a key point, and I've, I've talked about the senior ops leaders, I'm going to make it clear. I'm not referring to them as senior ops leaders by job title. I'm referring to them as senior ops leaders by those that had credibility those that have experience and those that are key influencers, the folks that we had in the room, they were not vice presidents. What they were were influencers and had a lot of experience in the field and a lot of credibility. So whenever they were being bought in and they helped develop these processes, that went a long ways for the other guys on the rigs. Whenever they heard, you know, some of our folks 
senior ops guys leading that initiative, it was a whole lot easier to get them bought in because they understood it was coming from a place of experience and caring and not just bureaucracy being led by the corporate office. Yeah. So you've got to have leadership from people who the field personnel respect. Yes. Yeah. And you need to be able to identify who those guys or gals are in the field and then leverage that to change the culture. Because one of the things we learned is, you know, that the iceberg model and the iceberg theory that the majority of the events or near misses occur below the waterline, right? From an HSE standpoint. So if you're picturing an iceberg, this relatively small portion of the iceberg is above the waterline. And those would be the negative events that we're aware of, including, you know, first aids, OSHA recordables, lost time events. But the bulk of those injuries or events that are below the waterline that we're not tracking, we're not aware that there was even an issue. Well, what really drives the size of that iceberg is the temperature of the water. And as an analogy, the temperature of the water is really dictated by the behaviors of leaders. And that's throughout the organization, but especially those with a lot of credibility in the field. That's a great analogy. It really is. So you guys, y'all sat in that boardroom, came up with, you know, kind of, I guess it sounds like you kind of rewrote the entire program. Then how did you implement it? Yeah, it started with workshops with leaders in the field. I probably glossed over on this portion, but we met for months for weeks at a time over a period of months as we rebuilt our HSE processes and converted those that are based on the TRIR model into a SIP-based process. And as that programs were developed and the implementation started, we really leveraged those infield coaching meetings with folks that work on the rigs, meeting in meeting rooms in our district offices with senior leaders in attendance as a way to demonstrate commitment to the new philosophy, meaning that at this point in time, I'm referring to people with a vice president job title in the room, having conversations with those operational leaders in the field, the rig managers and drillers specifically, and demonstrating a commitment to number one, the new processes, HSE processes and programs, but also a commitment to the guys and listening whenever they're identifying some issues or challenges that they're working through, or they've got questions about the new process, a senior leader being in the room makes a tremendous difference. Yeah, and being willing to take those questions and then answer them, that's very important too. That's exactly right. So, <laughs> Although this was, these training sessions were focused on HSE, it was a great experience to have even the president of the company in the room and have some FaceTime with those rig managers to have FaceTime with him and have the opportunity to ask questions. And he was very transparent with his responses and that established a lot of trust, not only in him, but in the new HSE programs. So have you guys done since then? Well, we continue to adjust. We have seen a significant improvement in our reduction of SIF events. That's based on the measuring the frequency of serious injuries and fatalities. So we have seen improvement in that space. We've also seen initially there was an uptick in our conventional metrics TRIR, but over time we've seen that start to come down. So there's been some ancillary benefit in focusing on eliminating the serious injuries. Ultimately, you'll reduce those smaller injuries as well, or just reduce the number of injuries that you're logging on those federal documents. Oh, that's a good point. So any specifics you want to talk about or you want to focus on? Yeah, I think a few things that we've learned that I would encourage you, anybody that's implementing a new HSE process program, 
you know, success is dictated by the leadership behaviors, number one. Are we walking the walk while we're on the rig floor? And are we demonstrating our commitment to it while others are watching? Number two, our tolerance of risk dictates the success of the program. And really, it starts at the top. Our CEO, if he's got a high risk tolerance, we can expect every level of reporting throughout the organization. That risk tolerance is probably going to go up a little bit. So if we don't have a very small tolerance at the top of the organization as senior leaders, we can expect to have a high tolerance of risk on the rig floor and vice versa. If we've got a relatively small, very tight tolerance of risk and we communicate that, we can expect that to be reflected at the rotary. That's an excellent point. And I've always said it always starts at the top. Yeah. There's feedback from the bottom. That leadership behavior, as we receive that feedback, whenever we've got some challenges or we've got a behavior in the field that's, I'm going to say, difficult. We've got an expectation that we tie off over four foot, that folks on the rigs come back and say, well, we don't have a place to tie off. Well, that's a difficult behavior or non-enabled behavior. And we as leaders need to be willing to step in, take that feedback and solve that problem, provide that engineering control with the additional tie-off point or some other means to access that work, that elevated work. So I think that's just a good example of, although it's leadership has to start it, we also have to continue to maintain it by following up with the field and reinforcing behaviors and being receptive when we get feedback. Follow up, reinforcement, and being receptive. Yes, sir. That's three good points. That may be where we wrap it up right here. Mike, I want to thank you again for joining me and this worldwide audience. Before we do sign off, you got anything else? No, Russell, I really appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the podcast. I've listened to you, and I know my mom's really proud that I'm on here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I used to give speeches and after the introduction, you know, I would say after that introduction, I only wish my parents were in the audience, you know, dad would be so proud and mom probably would believe every word of it. So uh, <laughs> that's right, Russell. We'll be sure to include your LinkedIn contact information and Helmer Campaign's website in the show notes so anyone listening can contact you directly for even more details. Finally, as always, to everybody, you can find in the show notes my LinkedIn contact info where you can message me. Please let me know what you're enjoying about the show and suggestions for content you might like to hear. Also, contact me for information on our OGGN Speakers Bureau if you're looking for a speaker at your conference or meeting. Tune in again next week for another episode of the OGGN HSE Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you listen to. Post and like us on LinkedIn. Tell all your friends about us, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.